Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic wear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic wear on Instagram at Picnic wear, and that's wear, W-E-A-R, and at www.picnicwear.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at NoFlightBackVintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios. 
all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of October, St. Evans is supporting Feed the Streets LA, a community-based mutual aid organization that collects donated food, hygiene products, clothing, and educational items for face-to-face distribution. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evans. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country.
Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Welcome to Close Force, the podcast that literally cries. Yes, real tears are involved. When I think about all the money I've spent on clothes that didn't fit me right, or made me unnaturally sweaty, or made me feel itchy or uncomfortable or not my best, or just in general feeling bad about myself. So many clothes, so much money. (laughs) Don't cry. We're going to work this out, okay? (laughs) I'm your host. Amanda, and this is episode 101. Wow, that's there's a number that just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about money. Our super special guest is Maria Dowd. She's a life insurance coach who helps her clients plan for their retirement, protect their families, and create intergenerational wealth. Because yeah, Life insurance is pretty magical like that. As Maria said earlier this week on Instagram, it's not considered very sexy, it doesn't come with red soles, filters, and it doesn't translate very well via TikTok, but it's a quiet core necessity for most families should a breadwinner's income vanish overnight. But that's not all Maria's here to talk about. She has a lot of great thoughts about how consumerism is affecting our ability to prepare for our futures and to create generational wealth. After all, if you feel broke all the time, you might as well treat yourself to something from Zara to make yourself feel better, right? If you're just working all the time, you can't afford a house, and you're always struggling, you should treat yourself. Things like life insurance or a retirement savings plan, they feel like a luxury or something your parents have or wealthier people have, just not even an option for you at this point in your life, right? This episode is not a commercial for life insurance or the banking industry or anything like that, but it's part of an ongoing series I want to do about money and our relationship with it. So we'll be talking about money in the future as well. I think it's just a great time for all of us to start thinking about, as Maria calls it, financial self-care. Raise your hand if you learned anything about managing your money in school. Yes, I'm literally sitting on my hands. I'm not raising them at all. Okay, raise your hand if your parents taught you about managing your money. I bet there are a few hands raised right now, but not very many. And listen, this is not an millennials could afford a house if they didn't buy avocado toast episode. I would hope that you would know by now that I hate that kind of stuff. And I'll just go ahead and say that my stepfather-in-law told me that Dustin and I could own a house if we stopped getting coffee when we were out. And yeah, that 6 to $10 per week that we spend on coffee would definitely buy us a house 
at the time we were living in Portland, Oregon, in about 10,000 years. So we'll just get right on that, right? Yet I still see this myth that millennials are more frivolous with money all over social media, everywhere, right? Go on to Reddit, someone's talking about it right now. It always comes back to the avocado toast or the lattes. I've never actually heard anyone say fast fashion, which is interesting. But in general, it's supposed to be all our fault that we are struggling. You know, a lot of us live paycheck to paycheck. In fact, most of my life I have, and I bet that doesn't sound unfamiliar to you. Stagnant wages, historic student loan debt, and steadily increasing medical and housing costs have come together all at once to ensure that millennials have significantly less wealth than previous generations. Sure, there are rich millennials, like I guess Mark Zuckerberg is rich, but for every rich millennial, there are like a gazillion millennials who are really struggling. For all of the things that millennials have supposedly ruined, uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Applebee's, Hooters. Why am I going to chain restaurants? I think I'm getting hungry. But you know what I mean. Millennials allegedly ruining things all in the name of avocado toast. For all of the things that they have ruined, it seems as if the economic landscape conspired to ruin a lot for them. And Gen Z is too young for us to know yet what their financial future looks like. But I'm going to be honest, I don't feel good about it. We've seen a steady decline in terms of so-called prosperity, beginning with Gen X. The oldest millennials and the youngest Gen Xers graduated into the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, making them, in the words of the St. Louis Fed, a lost generation. And like, I, can, I think we tend to brush off the recession, the 2008 financial crisis, whatever you want to call it, we, we tend to sort of dismiss that as like, well, it happened, but it wasn't that bad. and We've moved on. But real talk, we're all still dealing with the implications of that recession. Uh, that's when fast fashion came up, right? That's when we got into this cycle of everything cheaper and faster than ever. But it gets worse for these older millennials, and younger Gen Xers. Because according to the National Bureau for Economic Research, also known as the NBER, I'm not sure if either of those really is easier to say or faster to say. (laughs) Anyway, according to the NBER, workers experience 70% of their total wage growth in the first 10 years of work. So if the first five years of that or more, you were underpaid or underemployed, I'm sure a lot of you are like, yes, check and check. Well, that has lasting impact. I have felt that too. My employer during the recession, this was early in my buying career, put a freeze on raises and promotions for several years. And that was in a really early stage of my career where I would have been easily promoted once or twice. Like a lot of career paths in buying, the first couple steps on the ladder are really close together, and then they get further apart as you move up the ladder, right? So it takes longer to get to those higher rungs. So I was kind of stuck on a lower rung a lot longer than I would have been if I had started my career even like five years before that. Furthermore, analysis by the NBER indicates that it took about 10 years, 10 years for most of us to recover, at least for the most part economically after the recession. And I say for the most part here because like we missed out on a lot of our potential early on, right? And 
I still have friends who are educated, who are smart, who are amazing, and should have everything in the world, who are working two, three, four gig jobs trying to string it together and have been this entire time. But for all of us, no matter whether we were able to recover a little bit or still struggling, once the pandemic hit, we all lost a lot of our stability, if we had any stability to begin with. Research has shown that millennials are not any more frivolous with money, with consumption, than any other generation currently living on our planet. In fact, everyone in the global north, regardless of age, okay, maybe babies aren't buying too much, but everyone else is buying way too much, wasting way too much, and saving far too little. The feverish consumerism that began after World War II as the boomers were being born is, I hope, reaching its peak. I think that people were saying that in the 80s, though. And here we are, you know, 30, 40 years later, social media has made consumerism wilder than ever. And it's not even just about buying clothes and makeup and shoes and home goods. It's about traveling and having gender reveal parties and month-long birthday celebrations and all these other things that really ultimately fuel a lot of industries. These social media tropes are very profitable for a lot of big businesses. Yes, we are the fast fashion generation, but so are our parents, whether they realize it or not. Everyone is over-consuming everything right now, from clothing to cars to electronics to throw pillows. I always come back to the throw pillows. No one thinks of those. You should think about the throw pillows. <laughs> yes, millennials think a lot about clothing and all the other things I mentioned, but so does everyone else. What I'm saying is that millennials are no more frivolous and wasteful than any other generation. And to be honest, our parents set a bad example for us. Someone has to teach us about money to help us figure out how to protect ourselves down the road, to prepare for our inevitable retirement, to give us a sense of financial security, to help us get through hard times financially. I mean, it's been on my mind a lot during the pandemic. After all, I lost my job and the next job was not on the horizon. That's a really scary place to be when you've always been like, oh, well, I'll just get another job. There were nights when I would lay in bed in a cold sweat that was just five seconds away from turning into a full-blown panic attack. And I would tell myself, Amanda, why couldn't you have bought less clothes and drinks and $10 juices and $15 raw food wraps? Because then you would have a nice stack of money in the bank right now, and you wouldn't be worried about eviction or skipping out on doctor's appointments or all these other things that are keeping you awake at night. And honestly, I had just the craziest deja vu. I, I would think back to when Dylan was a baby and we had just moved to Portland and we were just devastatingly broke. Like I could not get a job. I was selling my stuff to keep us afloat. And I would lay in bed and I would think all those times I'd gone out for drinks or gone to a movie, all the things I'd done that had ever been fun before Dylan, if only I hadn't done any of them and I had that money. And like, that's a sad place to be. And no one no one should ever be so financially imperiled that they're not allowed to have 
a good time or nice memories or anything like that, right? I think that we see a lot of blaming out there that if you didn't do this, you would have that. And we all know that owning a smartphone doesn't somehow make it less possible that you could get healthcare, right? Because healthcare was out of reach the whole time. That kind of stuff. I I hate that kind of logic, but I find myself self-gaslighting myself over it. And I'm sure a lot of you have too. It's it's ridiculous to sit down and hate yourself for ever buying anything ever, which for obvious reasons, I hope you can see is not a solution, right? That if you had never bought anything ever, you wouldn't suddenly have a ton of money. I mean, you might, but at what cost? I think we often correlate financial responsibility with deprivation and miserliness. Like it's an all or nothing. You either always have cute clothes and have a good time and are broke, or you never have cute clothes and you never have a good time and you've got the safety net. I don't think that's a coincidence that we think that way. It's much, much more lucrative for so many industries for us to believe that we should treat ourselves and treat ourselves often. But the reality is that even socking away a little bit of savings for ourselves is basically denying tons of big companies access to our wallets. We never get to hear about the middle ground. And I want us to talk more about the middle ground, where we look cute and we have good times, but we're also ready for the bad times. We don't learn about life insurance or retirement savings or budgeting or anything like that in school, although we can all argue that these are essential life skills. We don't learn these things. Instead, schools are focusing on turning us into workers, and that has been the strategy since the 80s. We've talked about this a long time ago, but in the 80s, a lot of home ec programs were cut from schools. Anything that were these so-called life skills were cut from schools in favor of job training. It was like, Rather than teach people to be self-sufficient, to be able to cook and clean and mend their clothing and make their things last and care for themselves and, you know, buy less stuff, we're going to train them to be workers and give them none of the other skills. So they'll be not only workers, but the best consumers ever. They would teach us job skills in school. Or they would prepare us for college where we could go to learn more job skills. It was jobs, 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 jobs lead to shopping, right? We're raised to be workers and consumers. We're raised to work to buy things. Talking to us about our financial futures, of preparing for the inevitable or unexpected, our capitalist economy has deprioritized these important skills in favor of preparing us to work to make money with the rest of the culture around us, finishing off that training by teaching us how to be really good consumers. When I think of all the things I learned from magazines and television as a teenager, how to flat iron my hair, the right eyeshadow color for green eyes, apparently it's purple, in case you were wondering, how to pick the right prom dress for my body shape, or the things I learned from magazines and blogs as an adult, how to tone my abs or mix patterns or pack for a trip, a trip that I could show all over Instagram. I never learned how to save for my retirement. The content, I did some digging around, some Googling. 
the content about financial planning, about retirement savings, about life insurance, about budgeting, about savings, all that stuff, about investing. I mean, I never see that on any of the fashion blogs. But let me tell you, in a lot of the women's media out there right now, there's a very little mention of any of these things. It's like once a year, they feel obligated to do a story. But it's one of thousands of posts about things we could buy and why we should buy them. It's just not a sexy topic. It doesn't drive us to buy something. And it's not profitable in the immediate moment. You know, talking about money is hard. It's hard for all of us. It's often considered in poor taste to ask about money, to ask how much something costs, to talk about your finances. At the very least, it's really uncomfortable. And a few years ago, I took an amazing small business class in Portland offered by Mercy Corps. Highly recommended. It was taught by Karen Spencer. If she's still teaching those classes, please go take one. Ugh, so good. Really life-changing for me. And in one of our classes, she acknowledged that talking about, thinking about, being honest about our financial situations and about money and how it's spent and all of that, that it's one of the most uncomfortable things for most people to fully recognize and plan for their finances is so painful for so many people. But unfortunately, that discomfort and subsequent avoidance of money talk, it stands in the way of success and security for a lot of us, whether it is saving to start a business, buying a house, saving for our retirement, setting goals and being able to afford them, all that stuff, our discomfort with being honest with ourselves about our finances, it stands in the way of so much for all of us. I, I can say that about myself. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I literally cannot remember a moment when I wasn't worrying about money. I like to think that at least as a child, I wasn't. That seems about right. But I definitely was at least worrying about how little money my family seemed to have. I was thinking to myself a few days ago, do rich people... Do they worry about money all the time? Do they worry about it in a different way? I would love to know. Do people with generational wealth that they can fall back on, do they worry about money? I mean, to be honest, I have a lot of people in my life like that. I've worked with a lot of people like that, and I've never asked them, but I wish I had. Of course, it would have been in bad taste, right? Because we're not supposed to ask about those things. But I wonder, do they worry that they might break their arm and then not be able to work and then lose their apartment? Do they feel trapped in jobs that they hate because they the other option is homelessness? Do they have dreams that they've had to defer because they just they don't have the money and they have to keep working? Do they wonder, like a lot of us, if next year will be harder than this year? If you have a lot of generational wealth to fall back on, or you come from a lot of money in the first place, I would love to hear from you about that because I don't want to be like it's an us versus them kind of paradigm around here. But I do wonder, like, what is it like to not have the immediate fear of hunger or homelessness kind of looming all the time? It's an experience that I don't know. Every year of my life, if I didn't have a job, I was doomed, you know? I know that a lot of you are worrying about money a lot, just like me. It's impossible 
not to. You know, when wages are stagnating and housing prices are higher and higher, it's damn near impossible to buy a house unless you have access to a lot of cash. One illness can bankrupt you and on and on and on. It's a really scary time, especially when we talk about money. Money is on our minds all the time. So we're going to talk about money around here. I think it's really important for us to learn from like-minded experts in our community, people who we feel as if we can trust, who understand where we're coming from, people who can help us figure this all out. And so Maria is one of those people. I'm so excited for you to hear everything she has to say. If there are topics about money, budgeting, planning, all of that that you would love to hear about, let me know and I'll try to track down an expert. Or maybe you have an expert suggestion. I mean, just let me know. You know, I know it feels weird. Close Horse, I guess, started as a podcast about fashion, but it's also about consumerism and it's about our relationship with staff and it's about capitalism and it's about politics and human rights and workers' rights. And I mean, it's about a lot of things and all of those things intersect with our finances. Money is connected to all of these things. And I can see how the jobs that we've had to work, the climate that we've been adults in financially has affected our ability to feel safe and secure financially. So we're going to talk about this stuff. All right, well, let's get started by jumping into my conversation with Maria, because like I said, I'm so excited for you to meet her. She has a lot of really great stuff to tell you about. Right, Maria, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Yes. Well, Maria Dowd, and I am an, I'm an independent life insurance broker based in Los Angeles, California. I am a straight up baby boomer. <laughs> and I have <laughs> You're our first boomer. I'm excited. <laughs> am I really? Wow. Yeah, but it's about time, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, but happy to be a part of the crew. I, I, yeah. I, I many times, oftentimes feel like a millennial, but my daughters would beg to differ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I have two. I have two daughters. Um, one is actually turning forty in a few days, and my youngest is will be almost thirty six. And so, I've been around the block for a while. And then I also have a grandson who's nine years old. Um. And I am a kind of in that sandwich generation. And so I ha have my mom who's 88, who, by the way, is walking three miles every every other day. So okay. she, that is major inspiration for that everyone. That is major. Yes. I, yes. Have to, I always have to throw that in. Yes. So she's fully vibrant and has as much energy, if not more. And sometimes her memory is a lot better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and so, yeah, and so my my background includes, uh, for, well, for one, one of the kind of the big things that I did back in the 1990s, where many of you were probably just, you know, in elementary school, um, <laughs> I produced, I, I founded and produced an empowerment conference for uh, Black women that I toured around the country for 13 years and had some of the biggest names in, in our, you know, um, community on my main stages. And that was a big deal back in those days because it was probably one of the few events that was centered around just straight up 
women's empowerment, loving one another, inspire one another, motivate one another, and not tied to a particular religion or a particular occupation and, or that sort of thing or sorority. And so, um, so I was pretty much a, a pioneer back in those days. And then I went on to go, uh, I moved into uh, self-care and wellness, uh, kind of a network marketing type of business model, was very successful in that to the business. The company decided they didn't want to be around anymore. Uh, but that was really fun because it, it, it did introduce me to uh, and really putting self-care in the forefront of our lives. Um, mm-hmm. And then moving on um one of the things that I never dreamt of, of course, is, you know, laying business. Oh, I want to be an insurance agent. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what? Like nobody says that. <laughs> you know, you're like in third grade, when they ask you what you want to be when you grow up, you're like, oh, I mean, obviously a life insurance sales it. Of like, course. Right. Right. Obviously, right. right. So yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even remotely on my radar. And, um, <laughs> but I had a conversation with a colleague uh, that I hadn't talked to in like years and years. And he started, you know, talking to me about the uh, just really how underserved so many communities are, and and life insurance is so misunderstood, and so oftentimes misinterpreted, and and people think they know what they have and what it is, and they sometimes often don't, <laughs> and so um, and how it can be used as a tool to 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 uh, fuel intergenerational wealth creation to fuel retirement as an income mm-hmm. as a retirement income stream and certainly as a safety net uh, for families and particularly for women you know and I that's you know because my heart and soul is all about women's empowerment and so the um, um, you know, so my mission in life is is to help as many families understand the value and the features and and how it can be leveraged both uh, for immediate needs as well as for long term needs. And so that's my that's my thing now is to is to uh, in, empower families to get themselves insured and to protect themselves and create that safety net. I mean, that is amazing because I guarantee most people who are listening to this have never thought about life insurance. Um, a lot of us are kind of a financial mess, you know? And I think I mean, you and I, when we were preparing for this, we talked about this, you know, for a lot of us, we just like don't, we don't get that direction necessarily from our parents. Mm-hmm. And so we hit adulthood and we have no idea what we're doing. Much, I mean, like our parents just didn't maybe set a good financial example for us. Um, I'm sure you see younger people all the time whose parents are hot mess and didn't teach them anything. Uh, I know I come from the kind of family where what you do is you just run up a ton of debt and then declare bankruptcy, which is like mm-hmm. not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is one of what not to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Very good example for me to be like, okay, noted. Like don't go to the mall and get a credit card for every store and then buy everything and then not pay for it. Right. So I have seen I have seen all the ways people can run themselves broke and destroy their credit and definitely in no way have anything to pass on to the next generation. Um, we're going to talk about money today. So like once again, Maria is not a financial advisor, but what she does helps set people up for a better future. And so she has to have a lot of conversations with people about money. Mm-hmm. So I was asking you, like, what's the first step to getting your life together financially and in general? And you said you got to have a reality check. 
<laughs> you remember that. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. yes. And I, it's been sticking with mm-hmm. me because I think, you know, I, for a long time, I mean, this is not a recent problem, but for a long time, I was afraid to know what my credit score was because I was afraid it would be bad and mm-hmm. that I would be sad, I guess. So rather than checking it and finding out what it was and working on that, I just assumed it was bad and ignored it. And then actually I finally did. And I was like, oh, I have good credit. Why Why was I not checking this? You know, like why was I staying awake at night, you know? So you had a lot to say uh, when we were talking before about kind of like how we get in our heads about our finances. Like it keeps us up at night. We feel bad and embarrassed and guilty and shamed and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you know, we make up in our mind, we make this story. First of all, we have to separate what is fact from fiction. Mm -hmm. The fact is, I have a credit card, I've run it up to the max, (laughs) and I need to pay it off. Right. The fiction is, I'm a bad person, or I deserved to, to spend this money or I am, I needed, I needed to have, you know, this outfit for this particular occasion. And, you know, you know, the, the stories that we made, make up in our minds. And so we have mm-hmm. to learn and practice. Not even, it's not even a learned thing. You have to practice it every single day is to <laughs> kind of just step back and ask yourself, what's, what's so, what's real, what's the fact and separate that from the story that we're creating around that. And, and we do that so unconsciously. And when you, and so if you're like, you know, if you're conscious of, if you hear people do that, it's it's almost comical because, you know, you you can almost guess what's going to come out of their mouth next, you know, uh, because we're, you know, because we're so conditioned to say certain things and to believe certain things about ourselves and about how, you know, our quality of life and all these things. And, you know, and we make up in our minds that something we can't do yet the very next day or the next month or even, the, you know, a few months down the line, we we find, you know, really good reason and justifications for, you know, for spending $400 for a concert ticket, you know. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and not to say give that up, I'm not even suggesting give up the concert, right. but right. also be mindful of the things that you're saying that you can't do when you really can. You just have to kind of think about it. You have to, you have to, you know, just work it out, put the, you know, paper to pen, pen to paper and, um, you know, and figure out how to make it, you know, how to make it happen. You know, it might, it, and it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be these huge sacrifices. I would, I kind of liken it to, um, having a baby, uh, Oftentimes people have babies. They don't, they weren't planning to have the baby, but the baby comes, right? Right. (laughs) And you just figure out a way for that baby to fit into your life, you know, and all the expenses and and all the work that comes along with it because you have to, you have no other choice. It's true. It's coming out, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's basically how your finances, you know, could be. Uh, if you just get not as I, I like, this is not negotiable for me anymore. I need to, you know, to get this worked out and, right. uh, and figure out how to make it all happen. And so, and, and, and it's not always just about giving up something, but it's also, you know, how can I make more money? How can I, uh, you know, where can I find places where I can save a little bit here and there? But oftentimes, you know, it's just about, you know, maybe I just need to figure out some ways to make more money. And, that's especially critical for women because we know that the, the pay gap is real. 
And the pay gap is real, real, real for women of color. Mm-hmm. And it's all documented. It's all been measured and you know studied to death. And we know it's real. And so we have to acknowledge and recognize that you know, given this, this is our you know part of what's so in our lives. You know, how do we fill that gap? How do we open our mouths to ask for more money? How do we walk into the door of a in a job interview knowing what we, what you're worth and making certain that you get what you're worth? Right. How do we uh, you know charge the fees that we that we deserve to 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 receive for services and products rendered? You know, how do we how do we prepare for walking into the door and asking for that raise? You know, so these are all things that that we have to, you know, take a stand for ourselves. Now, I'm not, you know, there's a whole another realm about public policy and responsibility mm-hmm. and corporate, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll be talking about that later. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but, you know, these are the things that, that we can do ourselves in order to make a difference and start making, you know, transforming our lives. Yeah, 100%. Just like, I mean, it's, I think, especially women are discouraged from thinking or talking about money. I feel like there's this stereotype out there that we love to spend money. I mean, gosh, how many times have I heard some guy say that about someone they're dating? Like, oh, she sure <laughs> likes to spend my money, right? And that we, when we think about money, it's only in a like, what can we get with it? And, you know, as more and more women don't get married, uh, live on their own, uh, you know, are the breadwinners in their household. That's certainly been my role for a really long time. We need to know what's going on with our money. Mm -hmm. You said something that I have been thinking about nonstop and I have actually uh, said to so many people since we talked, which is you said they don't teach us financial planning in school because they want us to be consumers. Mm. Yeah, I did say that. (laughs) I love it. I was like, (laughs) ding, ding, ding. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you, um, you, you, you know, we're not, we, they, we, I, I think it's very deliberate to be honest with you. That's my, con- you know, we're, we, we talked about our conspiracy theories, <laughs> but, but I just, I just really think that it's deliberate that we're not, you know, because how easy would it be to incorporate financial management into any curriculum? You know, it, right? it, it, it's out there, it exists, the, the, the yeah. material exists. And how easy, you know, how easy would it be? And and that that kind of goes the same. And, and it that's also the same around nutrition. I mean, it's, there's just a lot of different things that would be easy to incorporate and to fold into curriculum. But I just really think that we, you know, we're kind of it's kind of a setup for you know the pipelines to consumerism, pipelines to, I you know even sometimes even pipelines to prison. You know, I can yeah. I'll put that out there as well. Uh, pipelines to obesity, you know, and and uh, to junk, you know, junk food and packaged food eating and all of that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that, uh, I, you know, that we are not, you know, we just have to raise our consciousness around it and do what we need to do in order to offset that and to fill those gaps. And the beauty of it, particularly with millennial generations, that everything is available to you. All the information you could possibly want is available. We didn't even we didn't have that luxury, you know. If I'm talking, six, you know, fifty years ago, that wasn't, you know, there was there wasn't even, there wasn't an the internet. There wasn't, you know, there were only I don't, books. I don't know how people lived. Like, how would you diagnose yourself with an illness if you didn't have the internet? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's true, right? Look at pictures and everything. I was, yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's very true, and so uh, and so. There's really no reason now, and 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 I will say that I th- I really feel because millennials are actually saving more money as a as a as a population than baby boomers are, and you know for the host of reasons. Prob- one of which probably is probably I don't want to end up where my mom is, <laughs> or I don't want to end up where my dad. <laughs> Right, I don't want to be that right. person, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to, to repeat those habits. But then the other part of that is there's just enough guidance and coaching and mentoring to build up the awareness around not repeating those habits. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That information is just so out there, and so you, there's there's greater self awareness. I think an opportunity to be more self aware today, than, certainly than it was in the past. Oh, I think so too. And I do think, I mean, you know, something that, you know, we constantly see in the news and read about is like, okay, boomers have all the wealth and millennials don't. But, you know, when you drill down into it, you realize it's a certain set of boomers that have extraordinary wealth. And then there are plenty of boomers, like a lot of people in my family, who mm-hmm. have nothing saved for retirement. And I, I don't know if they're all planning to come and live with me or what the plan is. But I mean, like, I, f- I feel nervous for them. I had a, a boyfriend. I mean, this was in the early aughts. And his mom had just turned 60. And she was starting to save for her retirement. Mm-hmm. And that still gives me anxiety to think about now. And she's surely long retired at this point. You know, I, I think that we feel as millennials – you know, we've like now we're in our second recession in our mm-hmm. adult lives. And so it can be really easy to just be like, well, everything's terrible and I'm doomed. So I just give up and I'm going to just go buy a bunch of clothes and call it a day. And I think we we can't lose sight of the fact that we need to take care of ourselves and be ready to take care of ourselves and our children. Um, and so I love that you actually work on helping people plan for the future. You know, people are always like, oh, live in the moment. But unfortunately, you still have to plan for the future. Absolutely. And and it's really, it's always adorable. And, and I wish the very best, you know, if, and, and this is coming, you know, I'm listening from the perspective of a boomer, but it's always adorable when I talk to, and, and I get this, I hear this universally across the board, is when I ask about their retirement age, I almost always get age 55. Okay. <laughs> like universally, I that's the that's like the magic number now. Not sixty five because our you know yeah, in our generation sixty five. Yeah, uh, and then the reality check is for our generation is oh is it maybe it's seventy five? <laughs> you know, right, right. Yeah, but it's almost always you know fifty five, and and so that you know so the the next question is do you know exactly have you done the math and know exactly what you're going to need to have put away in order for that to be possible at age 55 you know and you have to do the math you have to do the math for today's dollars and you have to, then you have to do the math on top of that for inflation and so you know because every year your your dollar is probably going to be worth 3% less than it was a year before and so you have to factor that into the equation too and so um 
and then reality check as to what, you know, what your lifestyle is going to look like and what it's going to feel like and, and you know, how, how do you want to live? And so all those things have to be factored into the equation. So you have to, and you have to do the math. So, and the beauty of it, once again, is that you have, there are so many apps, <laughs> so much information, so many books, <laughs> ebooks, audio, you know, everything is just, just like everything possible is available to do what needs to be done to know exactly where you are and where you need to be and what needs to happen in the interim in order to make that happen. So, um, you know, I, 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 God bless. I mean, I hope that that is possible to retire at 55 and what that means. But also the cool thing about millennials is so many of them have side gigs and they're doing internet business. They're doing, they're working remotely and, and, you know, so they can see, they see themselves not just tied to, staying put at this desk so I can get my pension, which, you know, there's even hardly a such thing as pensions unless you work for the yeah, government. What's now. That? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, whereas in our generation and before it was like, you stay at, this is, this is your desk. This is where you're going to be until you turn 65. And then you get your, you know, your golden key and you walk out the door and millennials have a whole different vision around that. Many of them do. And I, I wouldn't say all, but many do is, you know, oh, I can live in Thailand. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I can, I can, you know, pull in 20 grand a month doing, you know, app design or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever that, you know, so there's, there's just so many more options too. Mm-hmm to have side gigs and to make more money and to generate more cash. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, it, it's a great place to be because Lord knows we've, you know, I would say boomers and before we've made a little bit of a hot mess of things, you know, um, in terms of just the, the belief systems and the, our politics and, and those things have just, you know, some things are just really are not working and, mm-hmm. We are, we've been so tied to it because that, you know, I'm talking generally because I'm very liberal and very progressive, but, um, you know, we saw very things very differently, you know, last, you know, eight to 10 years in this country, uh, you know, and so the, the beauty of, I think the millennial is particularly those who have lived outside of, you know, have gotten an ch- opportunity to to go to college and to g- travel and to live in urban areas where they've seen, you know, they experience so much more, um, view life and view c- quality of life very differently, which is, a, I think it's a beautiful thing in, in ways that are really beautiful. But we still have to do the bread and butter stuff. We do have to do the, the financial planning and the putting away and being more methodical about it so that we can you know, live out loud the way we intend to when you retire at age 55. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting what you're, you know, talking about the boomers. Uh, A lot of the research and reading and things I talk about here on the podcast a lot are how with the birth of the baby boomers and not because of the birth of the baby boomers, but at the same time, consumerism as a way of life became, I mean, what it is to be American and really mm-hmm. to live in any wealthy Western country, right? It was like we were making the, all these companies were making so much money during World War II that when the war ended, it was like, how do we keep that going? Oh, we mm-hmm. come up with new things for people to buy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, when I hear pe- like people referring to boomers as being more materialistic or whatever, I'm like, this is literally what they grew up in. Like they were mm-hmm. raised 
to be like, you need something, buy it. Just buy, buy, buy. Have the biggest house. Have a new car. Get a new car all the time. Eat lots of Jello. Whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I think I think more and more. I hope. I mean, listen. I see people all the time on Instagram who are, you know, doesn't matter what age they are. They might be Gen X. They might be Boomers. They might be Millennials. They might be Gen Z. And they are out there buying tons of dumb stuff all the time. And I I worry about their credit, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. I worry about their debt to income ratio. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, it's not my problem. But I, I still, I'm like, oh, I would just like to talk to that person and be like, hey, how are you doing? Like, just tell me the real deal. Because I've definitely worked with people over the years who I was like, I know how much money that person makes. Mm-hmm. Why do they have a Lexus? You know, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. are they living in that apartment? Like w- they're clearly living paycheck to paycheck, but like in a really ostentatious way. Um, but that brings me to something that I hear time and time again, that if you want a life of financial stability, if you want to plan ahead for when you retire at 55 or 75, uh, that you have to deprive yourself of things all the time to now. Like you can't ever eat out. You can't go to a movie. You can't have nice things. And you just always have to be miserable and miserly, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and of course that's a fallacy. And and that just, just enables people not to do it, you know, when you, when you're kind of making up that story, because it's a story that you're making up. Yeah, you know, and it, once again, to like explain you know, it away, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. I mean, I drive down. I live in LA, and I'll drive down Melrose on a Saturday, and see like every other. First of all, every other storefront they're selling tennis shoes, and there are lines <laughs> yes. to get in. <laughs> Don't get me started. Lines, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a it's a head scratcher for me. It's like I don't get it. You know, it's. Yeah, how many more combinations of the color, the rainbow, you know, do you need in, in tennis shoes? I just don't, yeah. yeah. And so that's just one of, you know, many industries, but it's just mind boggling to me, um, you know, that, and not just buying them, but paying, you know, two, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars for them, you know, um, and, you know, God bless the person who's, who's selling them, <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, I, but I, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a little bit beyond. And so I'm hoping that they have life insurance and that they have a savings and that they're putting away their six to 12 months of income and all those kinds of things. I really hope and pray. But, you know, the chances are they're probably not. You know, um, I just, I just had a conversation, uh, a quick conversation with someone. She says, I just can't, I can't, I don't get it. I don't get why I need insurance. And I said, you just had a baby. You and your um, husband just had yeah. a baby. A you month like extra ago. need it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen a different outfit on that little girl every uh, single photo on, on Instagram. You of know? Of course you have, yeah. And so it's you know, and and you know, in, in a month she'll be out of those clothes. You know, I used to, I had, you know, and I, I had a, a little different mindset. I didn't spend a whole lot of money on, on, well, I had two grandmothers and two girls. And so that was just a wrap. They would just always, were always buying for these two girls, but I take <laughs> my clothes to a consignment because they would outgrow them. So I had consignment uh, accounts all over town. <laughs> oh know? yeah. That was me too. Yeah, I was yeah. like, these, the, oh my gosh, especially when my daughter was really little, like those clothes barely got worn. 
I mean, mm-hmm. like once, twice. It was so fast. And I think about all the clothes I got just for my baby shower alone, just clothes that I did not need. Ugh. Right. Don't get me started on the baby how the better etiquette for baby showers. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, and that's all that's and that's taken on a whole new realm, you know. It, right. Coming up, coming up in my generation, a baby shower was at your best friend's house or your mother's house, and you had you know crudite and dips and potato chips, and you played a few games with toilet paper, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Today it's like. It, ha- it can't be at a house. It has to be at a re- at some kind of a hall, okay. some kind of thing. Why is that? So I, I, my baby shower was at my grandma's house, but I was also like a broke single mom, you know. Mm-hmm. The first baby shower I went to in a restaurant was from. She's now my former sister in law, but she was married to my brother, and I remember my mom being like, "I can't believe, like, what is she rich?" And now that's just like the standard. Like it's yeah, always, it it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Speaking and of then, consumerism, and then you know, you, millenn- you millennials added n- yet another layer to it—the gender reveal. Geez, <laughs> you know? So don't. now we're talking two parties, and just not set any fires in the process. You're right; <laughs> these forest fires. But uh, yeah, there's. <laughs> I mean, so there's just a lot of, and and you know, yeah, that whole celebrate, and and we didn't even want to know what we had, you know, for the most part until <laughs> the baby came out. You, I didn't know either. I I. Mean, I, I guessed that I was going to have girls and I did, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I had no idea that I was going to have girls until they were born. Imagine you, know? so, you didn't have, yeah. a, there were no cannons with like pink flames coming no, out. No, none of that. <laughs> you want to know something so funny is there is literally a Wikipedia article that just lists all the people who have died as a result of these gender reveal parties. Oh my gosh. I know. I gave what? you chills. I yeah. know. When I discovered that, I felt I, f- I felt very sick, actually. Just like, yeah. wow, people are dying. And it's and it's always like relatives of yeah. this unborn baby. I mean, just just so horrific. Yeah. I mean, wow. talk about, you know, consumerism gone bonkers. I mean, weddings are another one. It's like mm. now you gotta have two, three, four wedding dresses and change throughout the day. And mm. There's the the bachelorette party always has to be a destination trip now, right. you know, and then you got to have also a really fancy bridal shower and just, and then the yeah. wedding gifts and it's just like adds up, adds up, adds up. And it's like, I keep wondering for all of these things, whether it's like baby showers, weddings, our own birthdays, you know, birthday months mm-hmm. now, all this stuff. Have we hit a ceiling with spending money yet? Like, are we just like over it yet? When is that going to happen? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, and I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't have it. I definitely don't have an answer for that because it's 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 about trends. <laughs> you know, what's trending? Yeah, yeah. Um, and people are going to follow in that direction. But the, see, and and part of the the big problem around it is that. So much of these things are for the show. It's mm-hmm. for the Instagram story and the Instagram carousel and the Facebook whatever, you know. So it's it's not it's not just about family and love and and you know support and toilet paper games, but it's also about the <laughs> st- what is it called? The step and repeat and the you know, the the show. 
you know, yeah, yeah. this is about the show. And, um, and like you said, it, it, you know, every time you're, you know, you're adding more for the, you know, you're thinking in terms of putting on a theatrical performance, essentially is what it was, what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Then that there's a budget that's involved <laughs> far more than what, you know, than ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the budget for the theater, for theater, you know. Yeah. So the costuming, the set design. I mean, all those things are all literally a part of celebrations now that didn't that did not exist in the, in the past. Not 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 at that level, unless you were just really super, you know, wealthy and came from a wealthy family. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said something before that is so on point. You said people have two motivations: looking mm-hmm. good and not looking bad. <laughs> Yeah. And that that nails it right there. I mean, yeah. what do you I mean, obviously you're not out here uh having all these crazy parties and that are unnecessary and whatnot. What is your advice? Do you have advice, I guess I would say, for, you know, as a boomer, as a person who has a lot of wisdom to offer for divorcing yourself from all this nonsense? Like how do you break up with all this theater? Because it seems like you have to, or you're going to be broke, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, how do you break from it? You, I, I mean, it all comes down to making that conscious choice, you know, and not really thinking about, because, you know, so often the choices that we have, and this is any choice and anything that we do, uh, whether we're sitting down for dinner, what we order off the menu versus you know, the choices in our partner versus the choices that we make in our careers or money, you know, what we do from day to day. Um, you have to divorce yourself from what other people will think about it. Number mm-hmm. one. Secondly, you have to divorce yourself from thinking about what, imagining what other people would think, even though it's not true. You know, so <laughs> so much of what guides us is what we're we, we're just imagining is is so, as opposed to what what's real. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so that's and that, and that goes back to that self awareness piece that you have to be self aware. You have to understand the all the machinery that's happening inside your head, and it's 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 difficult to shut it off, but it's. It does take practice to recognize when you're in that space so you can pull yourself out of it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, you know, we're all humans and we're just going to, we, you know, we're going to think, we're going to worry, we're going to do all these things. I mean, this is what human beings do. Um, True. <laughs> but the, the, the extra level and layer to that is becoming more self-aware of when you're in it and when it's happening and how to manage it, how to control it, how to re- reel it back or how to shift it into something that's positive or something that is, um, that, that's, you know, that does, that's more about doing well or doing good as opposed to doing well, showy well, you know what I mean? And from a, mm-hmm. from a showman's uh, pr- perspective. And uh, so that just, that takes practice and it's, and it's ongoing. It's, it doesn't stop. It doesn't end. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, it, it can be right now a lonely place to be when you see so many other people out there getting crazy. You know, and it's so funny because we can, and, and so we're at a place in our, in our, in our lives where we can manufacture anything we want with just a, having a green screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we think about it's it, true. We, yeah. can, we can do green screen in our own houses now, you know, and so we can, <laughs> 
you can put whatever backdrop you want. You can, I got really happy. I got really excited because my little side saddle that I have, I, I, I erased it on a, using an app. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow. And so, and, and, but that same app allows you to reshape your nose and your ears and your lips. It's like, wow, really? You know, so that's the, the, um, um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that all this stuff is available to to help us with the theatrics and help us to look and and more glam than what real life is, you know. And so we just have to we just have to push back. You know, I don't I don't even know what to say. You know, the only way the thing, you know, certain things are going to stop happening is if people start pushing back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and you know, stop, you know, because people are fed emotionally and, you know, by the likes and the follows. And so you see someone who's put a, who's plastered a filter on his or her face and usually it's a her and she has the perfect everything, skin tone Mm -hmm. and eyelashes and all those things and eye color and lip shapes and all those things, you know, do you, do you have to like it when you know it's all not, when you know it's not real? Do you really have to, you know, it's not real. Do you have to like it? So that's just a, that's just a conscious question, you know, that, but then those particular photos get the most likes. It's true. It doesn't, it make you so angry sometimes. I know for me, it's not really, I don't know if it angers me so much as, well, maybe it doesn't anger me so much because I'm older, but it's just so sad to me that a girl has to go to that, you know, feel she has to go to that, that length, you know, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I use a filter. You know, because I'm like, oh, <laughs> my neck, oh my God. <laughs> you know? And I have really good skin and I have really good, you know, I have, you know, I, 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 I'm, people mistake me for being, you know, 20 years younger than what I am. And I still want a filter to fix my, my, the little thing, you know, things. So it's not just, you know, it's not just a, a millennial thing, but we're certainly not as deep into it at this age because you don't care as much. You know, we're, we've, we've given up the high heels and stuff. You're like, just get some. <laughs> Kitten, kitten heels and some flats and or some walking shoes and let's call it. My daughter, my daughter calls them walkers and let's call it a day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that is like one of you know. It's it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes like life experience and time to get to that point because it would be great to be at that point when you're like 25. Um, I know for me, I mean, I'm glad that like at least you know, I'm on the old end of the millennials. So I didn't have internet until I was in a technically an adult. Really. I mean, mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. a little bit of internet, but like, you you, you know, in, not in the way we do now, right? Yeah. And like social media, I remember very vaguely life before social media and online dating. And when both of those things took off, it was suddenly like, you have to be going over the, I mean, just, you know, over the top in terms of like grooming and appearance and you're contouring your face and, mm-hmm. you know, you get Invisalign and people are getting colored contacts and suddenly everyone's wearing fake eyelashes all the time, even though that mm-hmm. used to be something that you might wear if you were a movie star or like a drag mm-hmm. queen. Mm-hmm. Like it's so crazy, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it is such a strange time to be alive. And I, it gives me anxiety because it leads to so much consumption, you know, like buying tons and tons of skincare products that you don't need, more and more makeup, all those fake eyelashes. They got to pile up in the landfill eventually, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and just, I, I, you know, and like, uh, you know, all the leftover college, like party decorations from all those gender reveal parties and stuff. It's just, 
it's just a lot. And I think, yeah. I mean, you and I, I guess, are both, you and I are both conspiracy theorists, I guess, because I do think there's a reason <laughs> that we are never taught to think about the future financially. And instead, we're just encouraged to buy more and more stuff all the time. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it, so it, it, you know, it just takes a, it takes a conscious effort, you know, and there are a lot, and, and, you know, and just, just so you, you know, you have those who are just doing the whole, um, you know, filters and the, this and the, that and the glam piece of it. On the other side, you have those who are doing the budgeting and how, how they pay down their, their student loan debt and how they are saving for their, you know, buying their first home and all those things, you know. And so, um, you know, those are the people that are worth following. If, you know, if, if you feel that, not, not all, I wouldn't say all, you know, necessarily because some are, are fronting, you know, it's not really authentic, <laughs> but yeah, you know, yes. <laughs> but there's just a lot of material and a lot of tools and just this, you know, there's everything that's accessible now to help to make that happen. And, um, uh, you know, to, to, to understand what's needed in order to get to this, to the point where you have those millions of dollars, cause you're going to need millions of dollars, you know, to, uh, it sounds weird t- saying that today, but you know, when you factor in, uh, when you factor in um, inflation, you're going to literally need millions and millions of dollars in order to retire at oh. at 55. And uh, <clears throat> and where you decide to live in that will de- will obviously uh, will determine. And then you have to stay healthy. You know you do, mm-hmm. you know you have to you know you have to stay healthy in order to have that life. And and that's the other part is is um, you know making certain that you're getting your physicals on a regular basis. You know, I've, I've had, I've run, have had enough people who are, you know, didn't know they had high blood pressure, mm-hmm. young people in their twenties and thirties and yeah. didn't know and never, you know, and misdiagnosing and, you know, you know, on web, what is it? Web and MD, you can only get so much information. You sometimes just have to go to a real doctor. Yeah. You know? I mean, most of the time, what, no matter what is wrong with you, web MD, convinces you that you probably have a brain tumor. So there's <laughs> like a whole spectrum of other illnesses in between there. Yeah. So you, so you do have to go to a doctor every so often just to get, you know, to get your vitals checked yeah, and everything yeah. and make sure that everything is good. And, and that, um, you know, if there are any lifestyle changes that need to take place, then you go ahead and get those incorporated into your life. And, and, um, you know, so that you don't end up you know, in- incapacitated and un- and or uninsurable because mm-hmm. you have had something happen that was totally preventable, but you hadn't slowed down and taken the time to go to see, go see a doctor and just you know just get your vitals checked. You know, and that's the same year that you you know you check in on your life insurance, make sure your policy is performing the way you and you check in on your other investments, and you just kind of do you know you just like once a year you just kind of go and do a review and check to see where you are uh, compared to where you want to be, and um, and it, and it's a practice. You know, I have to keep saying that because it, it doesn't come necessarily that authentically or naturally for a lot of people unless you just grew up in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And most of us didn't. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. Well, so let's let's talk about life insurance because I think, like, once again, this is not something that most millennials or Gen Z have learned about in school. Uh, their parents may not even have life insurance or they might have, like, the bare minimum policy mm-hmm. that covers, like, funeral expenses, you know. That mm-hmm. like you know maybe their job offers or like they 
got from TV. I don't know if they still put those commercials on, but I remember seeing those life insurance commercials all the time when I was a kid. Um, when should people start thinking about life insurance? The <clears throat> There are a couple of answers to that. One is if you are married and or with children, that goes without saying that you should have life insurance right now. Not tomorrow, yeah. but right now. And the main reason being is if you are dependent on that other income for your quality of life, to pay bills, to keep the roof over your head, to keep childcare going, you know, all those things. If you're dependent on that, on that income, whether it be the man, woman, or both, then you need life insurance because you need to, if that income unexpectedly went away tomorrow, would there be a check ready for you to receive in order to pick up and continue with your quality of life? Or will you be devastated because there's nothing there and you don't know what the heck to do? Yeah. I mean, and that is, that's the question. And the question is, how do you want to feel how, how, you know, how do you feel about that? And hopefully it just scared the crap out of you because you don't want your partner and your children to end up in a place that they have to quick sell. They have to give up. They have to change. They have to, you know, scurry all the while they're grieving your loss, they're grieving the loss of you Yeah. on top of that. You know what I mean? And when you could have simply gotten a life insurance policy, paid whatever, you know, what it, you know, and, and of course that how you get your, you know, how you structure the policy with the kind of policy, there's a lot of things that go into it, but, um, but it's, but there's some basics, you know, and you know, how you could have avoided that grief by simply making that move. And and the thing about that move is that, that in, the move to get insurance, that's something that the wealthy do really, really well. They leverage the hell out of it, life insurance. <laughs> and we don't even go that far in, you know, deep into, you know, how to, you know, the leveraging, leveraging, but they have it. People have it because you have all these different asset buckets. You have these buckets of assets, real estate here, stocks and bonds here, businesses here, gold here, you know, whatever you have in those buckets as your assets. One of those assets is life insurance. That is the bucket that literally can protect everything else in those other buckets from loss from having to walk away from, from having to sell at a, you know, at an undervalue or having to scramble and trying to figure out, you know, how to, how a, you know, this business partnership will, will, you know, will change, you know, with now that the person is gone, you know, so all these questions. And so, um, and so for, you know, it's like now, so the other part, so the other, so that's the, that's the only answer I have for that is like now, <laughs> if you don't have insurance <laughs> and it's not even, it, it, it could be that you haven't, you, you could be uninsured, you can be underinsured and you can be misinsured. I use that term misinsured, Un, uninsured. You understand you just don't, you have no insurance whatsoever. Right. Underinsured is, is oftentimes when you, uh, you know, you're just resting on the laurels of the, the t- little term policy that you got through your employer. 
which is not enough, never will be. And it goes away when you leave or when you retire or when you quit or when you're fired, you know, that, that policy goes away. And, um, or to convert it costs you a lot more than just having your own personal policy outside of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So underinsured is taking the time to pull out what you have because oftentimes we'll get it and we'll just pay for it and we and, you know, put it on autopilot and tuck it away and understand exactly what you have. Because sometimes people think that life that they have permanent life insurance when they only have term life insurance. Some people think that they have, you know, life, you know, living benefits and all that cash value and all that kind of stuff. And all they have is an accidental life insurance policy. You know what I mean? So you have to know what you have. And if you don't know, pull it out and go and sit down with a professional just so to, to evaluate exactly what's so about what your, your, your mix of insurance is. Or if it, 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 or the misinsured part of it is oftentimes people have been sold policies almost kind of predatory policies, you know, that, and so they're mm -hmm. paying a lot more, it's way too much for what they're getting. And so, um, you know, these are all the questions that, that people have to, um, make certain that they have answers to. And so the answer to that is, you know, like let's, let's do this right now. Another level layer to this is, um, once parents are taken care of, once parents have their life insurance policies, the next step is to look at getting life insurance policies for your children. And, and the reason why you want to do that while they're young is, number one, they don't have to have a medical exam. Number two, they can get a permanent policy for extremely low premiums, like less can be less than the cost of a, those, those converse that you're buying for them every month, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, uh, the and the way in which that cash accumulates and grows exponentially uh, with comp through compounded interest is like mind boggling how much cash is available for them to do the things that they you know want to do with their lives go to cop you know pay for college possibly you know down for a down payment for a home. Uh, you know, start a business or whatever that might be, you know, that policy is, is, is a tool for that. And, uh, and you have the added protection of the, you know, the safety net that with, that comes with life insurance that you don't get with other assets. You don't get life, you don't get the assurance that your 401k that's in, you know, in, um, uh, you know, mutual funds, which is great, you know, have your, you know, have mutual funds it, you know, in your life for sure. But also what happened? So let's say the people who in, in 2008, they were about to retire. Oh man. They had yeah. been saving all their lives and putting away their little monies and everything. They're ready to mm -hmm. retire. And 40% of their retirement money just went away, just disappeared overnight. And not just into a vacuum, it disappeared to other people's pockets. There's that conspiracy mm -hmm. theory again. It, it didn't go just into a vacuum. It went into other people's pockets. Yeah. And so, um, and, and those are wealthy people who are hedging that this would happen, you know? Yep. yep. And they had insurance to protect themselves, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, and so, um, you know, so getting, and so there's a way to leverage that, but the other, and the other part of it is that you have to not only make that move for your children, but also educate them because at some point in time, they're going to, they'll have to take over that policy. 
And they will have to understand what it is that they have, what kind of gold mine this could potentially be. I was literally sitting down with someone uh, a couple of years ago. He said, yeah, my mom handed me a policy, some papers from that my grandmother, my grandmother had done a, had gotten a policy for me. And I said, okay, so what did you do with it? He said, I don't know. I just lost, I lost it. The papers. Yeah. I said, you know, I said, do you, do you realize that that, first of all, his grandmother, she turned over in her grave. You know, yeah. because she really had done something that was meaningful and important to her, to her for her grandson's future. And the whole thing was trashed, literally. And it could have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. It could have been millions of dollars. You don't even know because mm-hmm. you didn't you, you didn't know what you didn't know when your mother handed you those papers. She didn't say, call the insurance company, get, uh, you know, get an update on what this is about. Let's find out what the cash value is and find out what you you know, if it, if this, um, ex- if this policy expires, what can you do to make it, you know, to leverage it, to use it for, you know, for your, the next phase of your life to buy real estate or to start a business, you know, that conversation happened because her mother, his mother didn't know what she didn't know, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. so the educational part of it and the ongoing educational part of it is very important. And then the other part, and I've been doing a lot of, um, uh, Instagram lives with uh, estate planning attorneys. And so the other part of this, of course, is the necessity to have a living trust because you're when you're getting, uh, let's say if you're a single mom and you have a child, you cannot put your child as a beneficiary. You have to put that money in a trust and then for your child's benefit. Um, and so those kinds of things you have to, you have to have you have to sit down with an attorney. You know, you have to sit down with somebody who's an expert at helping you to put, you know, to draft that and make certain. Because what happens if you put a policy in your child's name? I mean, a, name them as a beneficiary. Excuse me. If you name them as a beneficiary, the court's not is not going to just hand them a check for a million dollars, let's say, or five hundred thousand dollars. They're going to keep that money. They're going to hold on to it, and then they're going to go through this whole process through probate or whatever it's called, you know, the court system and with legal fees and what have you to figure out exactly who's going to be the custodian of that money so that it's not misused and not abused and not lost and and are stolen. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's this, you know, so there's some layers, but you just have to, you have to do it, you know, just like anything else, there are layers. You have to, if you're buying a home, you got to fill out application. You got to put a whole, you know, submit a whole bunch of paperwork. If you, you know, start a job, you got to sit down with HR and fill out a whole bunch of paperwork, you know? So that <laughs> yeah. part of it is called adulting. Yep. You know, yep. and that we have to do, do it. it, you know, yeah. you have to do yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. So you, you hit on something that I think, or touched on something that I think a lot of people probably don't know. Cause I think most people assume, okay, you get life insurance, you're paying in it your whole life someone only gets that money when you die, right? But if you have a life insurance policy, you can you like I'm not going to explain this very well. So you have to you have to break it down. You can okay. access that money after a certain point, right? Like in it while you're still alive. <laughs> yeah, there are two different kinds of policies. One's a term okay. life policy and then there is a category called term life, which has its start date and the end date and it only uh, pays out if you die, but if you die after the end date, then nothing. It's like renting insurance. There is wow. value to having term life. Okay, so there is value right. to having term life because term life helps to protect um, younger families. If something unexpected happens while someone is young, it's a chunk of money that you get 
for to help with your expenses, whatever that chunk of money is. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. understand that term life is really super duper affordable. And I mean, I just did policies for a family, and you know, the wife got a half a million, the husband got a half a million, and they're and together. Not they're not even paying, but you know, a couple hundred dollars if that, you know. And mm-hmm. so, um, and 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 both didn't have the weren't in the greatest of physical health, and so, um, and so that's how just affordable term life is, or if not less, if you're really you know if you're if you're healthy. Now, on the flip side of that. Is now, and then you have to understand what term is and that you have it because some people think that their term policy is a permanent policy and it's not. So, a permanent policy, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, you know, no question about that. It's mm-hmm. going to provide you with your death benefit, whatever that amount is. It's going to provide you with your with cash accumulation. So, it's going to grow in cash and depending on the size of the, um, uh, premiums, the size, you know, and when you start, okay, the age that you start, it's going to grow, it's going to grow exponentially in, a, in an amazing fashion, or it's not going to grow much at all because you start, you didn't get it until you were 50 instead of getting it when you were 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the benefit of it is that cash that accumulates inside of that after a certain period, and you just like 10 years is when you start kind of, well, it starts accumulating cash before that, but then it has some surrender, maybe there may be some surrender charges that are kind of involved in that. But, mm-hmm. um, and these are all things that you can see, you talk about with your, your, the professional that you're sitting down with. And so the, um, uh, that cash, the beauty of that cash, if it's left alone, can grow and you can use that for whatever you want. So it becomes your personal bank. So imagine a kid who has this now has this cash value building up mm-hmm. that you know that they can use for multitudes of things. You b- either borrow from it and pay it back, or if you don't pay it back, then it come it's subtracted from your face value of your policy. So you have to you know you you, you have to kind of work it. So um, so you get cash accumulation. That's a part of that policy. And then the other thing that you typically have in the policy is what they call a, a living um, benefits rider. And that is um, a rider that allows you, if you have a qualifying chronic terminal or critical illness or injury, it allows you to pull from your face value and use it while you're still living. And, um, and that's money that then is obviously subtracted from your, from your uh, death benefit, but it allows you to use, so, so there's opportunity to use a, um, um, a permanent policy while you're still living, which is distinctly different from a term policy. Now, families, depending on your circumstances and every family has is unique. Some families, Right now, basically, all they can afford is get term. That's all, that's all you truly can afford: get term, but get get it, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's more affordable. And you can get and you can get a term policy that takes you out thirty years, you know, if you're if you're healthy, um, you know. But the other part of it is that you don't wait thirty years before you start shopping for a new <laughs> new policy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you could be uninsurable mm-hmm. because of your health. Mm-hmm. 30 years out, you could, you know, um, you, 
you know, you're going to be paying a lot more money. So you want to get, you want to start working on that permanent, getting permanent policy, uh, permanent uh, insurance sooner than later. But definitely get, if you have, if you're a young family with children, you have a mortgage and that sort of thing, get the, get term, you know, for sure, get that. And, um, but there's this, this, there's, there's this, this um, gentleman who puts, who has it, and everybody knows the saying, you've heard, everybody's heard it, buy term and invest the rest. Mm-hmm. And that is, there's a little bit of fallacy around that because not everybody is going to invest the rest. Not everybody knows how to invest the rest. Not everybody. So it's not a one size fits all, um, you know, and you just dismiss permanent a permanent policy when you are may not have the discipline or the know-how or the interest in quote unquote investing the rest. And so you have to weigh in of what your capacity is in terms of your knowledge base and, and be really honest with yourself, but then also understand that life insurance is, is an asset classification that protects, can potentially protect all the other asset buckets. You know, so it's not something that you want to trade off for something else or something you want to have to protect everything else. And I just learned yesterday, it was really interesting, um, and this is really high level Rockefeller stuff, but it's, it's, it's a fact <laughs> that, you know, and I learned from my estate training when we were not my, but we were on a, on a, on a uh, Instagram uh, live uh, call yesterday that um, the Rockefellers, they had, they set it up so that you use your inheritance to buy more life insurance. And so everybody, you know, you would just kind of become this, this cycle of having life insurance you know, and so you just always had it. And so it was always mm-hmm. in place that was required for that family. And so that's an amazing way to grow wealth. Um, and, um, you know, but that's, that's high level, but if mm-hmm. we're just talking about just plain old common folks like you and me, mm-hmm. get the policy in place, get the living trust in place. And I had all that when I was, I was, I sat down with an attorney, um, uh, you know, this is 30, wow. Yeah. 30 years ago. And, um, and at the time I didn't even know what a permanent policy was, but I always had terms. So I had a half a million dollars, two daughters, two young daughters at the time. They, at that time they were what 11 and, you know, and, and eight, you know, uh, yeah, seven. And, um, uh, so, and, and so the attorney said, this is how you want to do it. You want to set it up. You want to put it in a, put your house in a trust, put your, this insurance policy in a trust so that. Um, your and you spell out your wishes, and so what I recommend as your attorney is that you tier it. So it's not they're gonna, not going to get each two hundred fifty thousand dollars at one time. They're going to get this amount for college. They're going to and then later on they're going to get this amount that could help them buy a house. Later on they're going to get this amount that would help them to whatever, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so and and so that's the importance of having your wishes spelled out and having that trust so that. Everything. I mean, it's it's the adult thing to do for your family. The insurance piece. I have to, you know, say this is that it lifts the burden. It lifts the risk off of the backs and shoulders of your family onto the insurance companies. That's what they're there for. How about that? You know, that's what they're there for is (laughs) to take on the risk. You know, and lift that burden. Don't leave that burden for your family. Don't do that. And, it, and it's so simple not to do that. You know. Yeah. You yeah. Just, yeah. You have to just sit down and do the adulting thing and get and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, you and I talked about this before, but I feel like in pop culture when we talk about life insurance, it's it's like a red flag if you have life insurance that someone's going to come and murder you for it. And I think we need to – yes, that happens. I listen to a lot of Dateline podcast episodes and I will admit that, yes, that does happen. But in general, the mass majority of life insurance policies are there to protect families and people. So what about people who are like – hey, guess what? I'm never getting married and I'm never having kids. Why do I need life insurance? What do you say to them? Yeah. Um, That's good. That's, um, and there are a lot of people that who have that. So one of the questions that you want to ask yourself um, is, is there anyone that has co-signed on any kind of loan for you? Whether it be Mm. a private student loan or a house or a car so one of the reasons why you do want to have life insurance is to relieve them of the liability of having to cover that if something should happen to you. So that's number one. Number two, you can use that life insurance policy as one of your lifetime retirement income streams. Mm-hmm. You set it up. And not touch it and set it up well and, you know, and, 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 you know, it can be one of, you know, that cash accumulation you can actually draw from on a monthly basis or uh, uh, annually, what have you, you can draw funds from that to fuel and fund your retirement. On top of that, it's there for the creation of Inner, you know, the creation, uh, it's there for, why well, did creation? Because you said, okay, no children, but uh, so you might have children, <laughs> but it's there for, <laughs> you may say it now, but then you may not plan for that child in the comes It's in true. Anyway. It's true. I you know. still am like, oh, wait, people have children on purpose. They're not by accident. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, but you can use that for, you know, you could fund it, your, uh, a charity. You know, you're, you're passionate about clean water in, the small country in, you know, Africa, or, you know, it's so you can use them for a lot of different reasons. So it's not to say that, you know, not, not everybody needs it. Not everybody wants it. And I get that. But if anyone has, 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 has co-signed for you, you know, um, uh, and, oh, and it's one other thing too, that's, that is, uh, you know, to kind of just consider is who you, if you have life insurance, who are you naming as your beneficiary? So you could be, mm-hmm, you could mm-hmm. be, it could be a nonprofit, but it could be, it could be your mom who, you know, is not, doesn't have enough money for retirement and she's going to outlive her money. You know, it could be for, um, you know, it could help to fund a, you know, a college fund scholarships for, uh, you know, for students at an, at disadvantage in disadvantaged communities. I mean, you can use them for what you know, a lot of different things, and you can use them to do really well and do good for you know for for your community. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say just totally dismiss it, but to think about it and think about your circumstances and what you think you're gonna that you might need if you want to have a little bit of money, uh, you know, have a, something that's gonna hedge that. Because the the thing about life insurance is that it's, it's it's not a security, so it's not in the marketplace like your four hundred one k and like your um, um, IRA and that sort of thing. They're not you know they're not in the market, and so it's your um, your this that asset that is money that you're not going to lose. 
-hmm. in a market downturn with insurance and a market downturn in a cash value policy, which is a permanent policy, market downturn is just zeros out. You don't, you're not losing money. Your cash value doesn't, it, it, it doesn't go below where it's, where it was, unlike the potential of your other retirement funds and the value of your house, you know, if you have, if you own real estate. So, um, so that, those are, you know, multiple reasons why you may consider having, getting life insurance for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are, these are all really, really good reasons. I feel like I learned so much. I hope, I'm sure everybody else who's listening will be like, whoa, I literally didn't know anything about life insurance. <laughs> we can go on for like days. <laughs> so much to talk about. <laughs> um, so what would your advice be for like anyone who's listening now who's like, okay, you know what, Maria, you have convinced me. I am going to go get some life insurance. What should they do? Well, they can call me. For, you know, yes, for uh, one. There you go. For one, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, they can definitely – so, oh, let me just explain this to you. This is something that I had to explain to someone yesterday also. Um, there are essentially three different kinds of life insurance agents Okay. There are there's a category of those who are they work for an insurance carrier. So all they sell are the products for that company. Right. Okay. Okay. A second category is those who are independent agents like myself. I'm an independent agent. But they work for a kind of a network marketing kind of situation. And and so they're kind of they're not bound by only selling those, but they have more. There, there's some underlining motivations like, ooh, my downline and residual income and all right. those kinds of things, you know, right. that kind of help to dr- potentially drive the cost of that policy. So they may be paying more for maybe less coverage. And then there are those like myself. I'm not tied to any network marketing kind of situation. I'm not tied to any particular company. I represent you. So I'm an independent broker. And so mm-hmm. I represent you and I take your, your profile, your specifications and uh, shop it with, you know, with various, um, uh, with various carriers and come up with a solid solution for based upon your particular needs and whatever company, you know, what, and wherever that is. And, and I also, as the nice thing about insurance, uh, agents period I can do business in any state in the US so I'm not bound I'm not bound there you by go. It. all of you yeah. listen mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so get in touch with someone who is an agent which might be you or might be mm-hmm. someone else um, is there any other advice that you would give someone who's getting ready to look for some life insurance like if they're not going to go with someone like you who isn't connected to an agent like a particular mm-hmm. brand of insurance, do you think that they should probably get a lot of quotes? Well, th- that's the one, that's the benefit of being able to work with a, an independent broker. Now, independent broker is not going to give you a whole bunch of different quotes because it's just, it's, it, it can be pretty um, mind boggling, uh, but, <laughs> I bet. but they've shopped, you know, it for you and they've gotten typically, you know, two to three or four different quotes and they, you know, look and say, okay, this is this 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 is where um, the premium is on this one. This is what the face value is. This is the the you know the writers that are associated with it. This is how far out it goes. You know, you, you know, you're evaluating those things, and right. so um, um, you can, but it's very cumbersome, and you'll 
you'll you'll you'll you'll you'll get a headache honestly yeah no so it sounds you, terrible to me i wouldn't want to do it <laughs> yeah it's just a lot i mean and you know and you know granted the, and, and there are a lot of companies you know a lot of apps out there you just go and put your specifications and you they spit out different quotes and stuff so you know you can do that but and that's typically term but but um term life but um uh you know and and or the other is, and and there's also those who tout you don't need a medical examination, you know. And that's there are plenty of of products out there that don't require medical exams, but you do pay a bit of a premium for those policies. That makes sense, you know, because they're hedging. Yeah, they're hedging that you're that you're good and healthy, but they really don't know. Therefore, you're gonna mm-hmm. pay a, you're gonna pay a little bit, a bit more money, and so or a lot more money even for that matter. And so you want to be mindful about that too, because I, uh, tip, you know, typically now I, I do, if, if it's, if a client's really, you know, healthy, I'll say, you know, this person's healthy, maybe can we bypass it? And then the underwriter, once they get the application, they decide whether or not to buy after they do the interview, because they always do an interview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, once they do the interview, they determine if or not that person needs to go ahead and also have a medical exam. And what that means is somebody comes to your house in about 30, 40 minutes, they take your you know blood pressure and your weight and ask you a few questions and take some blood samples and um, you know so they're usually they're in and out in about forty minutes and um, and then sometimes if you're just in good shape and everything uh, and there's and there, there's nothing that any questions come up then sometimes you can bypass that and um, but they decide that you don't decide that unless you go with a policy that that will bypass it on your behalf and so they come to your house like they make a house call. That's amazing! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. They want they, you know, the insurance companies want want the business. People aren't going to just go. Ooh, I'm going to go and get a health exam so I can get oh, life yeah, insurance. Totally. I mean, and like, <laughs> oh, who's going to do that, right? Good lord! Last uh, year, but, when, but you can. Yeah. I mean, I had a I had a college student who um, it was during COVID and, and nobody could go on campus during COVID, and so he had to go to the lab place to get it all done. But it was just right around the corner, essentially. And mm-hmm. so, but for the most part, they come to your home. Wow. Well, that's so nice to know. Mm-hmm. And then if you're, you know, if you're COVID kind of leery, then they can, they have, you know, uh, right now, you know, they have procedures for doing it outside and that sort of thing too. They just have certain requirements has to be dust, you know, dust free and clean and all that. But uh, people have asked me about, well, well, I don't want people coming into my house and said, okay, I get that. So this is, this is how they manage that. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like hard for me to imagine you know, I was I was thinking about this this morning, kind of getting myself depressed. Where I was like, you know, like this time last year, I was like, when COVID's over, this is the first thing I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do this. And now, a year later, I'm like, well, this is just how life is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a different ball game right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it really, really is. I'm no longer like, well, when this is all over, I'm going to go, you know, on a big trip. Like I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. This just keep living every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just take a yeah. day trip or drive someplace, and you know, need yeah. a you know, get away for a little bit. But yeah, I know I'm just like really ready to go and get on a plane. But um, I'm <gasps> me too. Not but feeling, I'm just yeah, yeah, no, no, no not yet. yeah. It was just my birthday, and you know, my husband wanted me to take me to a restaurant, and I was like, oh hell no, we're staying home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little different thing now. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so. I'm so glad, Maria, that you like shared all this information with us. Like, I'm sure so many people. You just, I trust me. Everybody who listens to this is going to learn so much. So, do you have any last advice or anything for anyone who's listening? 
the only thing I say is like, just do the darn thing. <laughs> I mean, that's great. I, I don't even life know what advice. else I can say about it. I mean, I've said everything I can say. I've given all the reasons why. Uh, I don't think I've missed any reasons, you know, um, around the reasons, you know, it, the, the cost of not being insured is, is, can be devastating, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it, it could really be really stressful. Be. And if, if even not devastating, it could be just really, really super stressful and trying to figure out what's, you know, what's, what's going to happen next. You know, you, you, there wasn't enough money saved or it only lasts for this amount of period of time. It's not enough to cover childcare anymore, or it doesn't cover our mortgage. You know, we missed your salary. Yeah. I mean, I don't it, think you know? people think about that. I think most people think funeral expenses. And like, to be fair, mm-hmm. I see an awful lot of GoFundMes for funeral expenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, more and more, you know, it was like, I was always seeing them for medical bills, which is devastating enough. But then to be now mm-hmm. seeing them constantly for funeral expenses, we think, I think in general, we think, we think of, of life insurance, we either think someone's taken out a huge policy on you so they can kill you and get rich, or it's to cover your funeral expenses. And it's really about protecting the people in your life. It's not even about you. And it's a really Mm -hmm. essential bill. It really is. It really is like anything else. And, um, you know, is this really difficult to justify having paying, you know, what we pay in cable bills, you know, every month. Yeah. And not have life insurance. It's it's bl- mind blowing. I mean, I had a couple. They when she started adding up the expense, they were spending like four hundred or so dollars just on DoorDash. Pandemic, you know? man. And, and, and yeah. I'm thinking, oh my god, that would buy such good policies for them. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, uh, you know. Just take that. If it's, even if it's two hundred dollars each, it's like, oh my god. So. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I would say just, yeah, just have to do it and stop putting it off and stop postponing it because there are a whole lot of boomers. And I talk to them every day who regret not taking the advice that they had and got years ago to get this, to do this now. Mm-hmm. They regret or even having taken the advice, but then they said, ah, I can't touch it. I can't feel it. Uh, you know, I lost my job. I'm gonna let it go. You know, it's like, all those regrets will come up, I, I promise you, because I, I hear it and see it every day. And so mm-hmm. you have to, you know, understand that that, that intangible is, very, is a very tangible thing. If something happens to you, it's very tangible. Money is very tangible, you know, for your, for your survivors, surviving family members, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll mm-hmm. miss you, but they will also miss your money. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the real talk. That's the, that, that that's, is that's, real. That's real talk. That's the, that's yeah. the, that's the real talk that we have to, that we, and we have to say that we have to vocalize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Maria. This was such a delight. It's my absolute pleasure and hope that somebody out there was touched by the message and, um, we'll, t- and we'll take action. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to connect uh, all of Maria's information in the show notes so you can reach out to her. I mean, obviously, she's my first pick for who you should talk to about life insurance. And I'm Thank sure you. now that you've heard her talk, you agree. So <laughs> please Thank follow you very much. Maria. I appreciate yeah, that. I mean, just I – you broke it down in such a clear and real way. Uh, got behind – got – you know, pushed aside all that noise. And I think I think that's really important. I think that's what makes Absolutely. people not trust this kind of stuff because they don't they don't know. 
It's too confusing. You were like, this is the real talk. Absolutely. And okay. it is confusing. There's no question about it, but so is everything else. When you, and you sign a, a rental lease for an apartment, it's, the language is confusing. <laughs> you know, really contracts is. are confusing. But <laughs> you're not like, well, this contract was confusing. I guess we just won't live anywhere. No. Exactly. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I think I think this is the same thing. I mean, I it's funny. I have been writing a lot of weird contracts for different uh, clients I've been picking up lately. Mm-hmm. And it always mm-hmm. like, like I'm always like, this is so intimidating. And then I'm like, actually, it really wasn't. You know, <laughs> like I just had to focus and read and think about it. And so anyway, get life exactly. insurance, everyone. Plan for your financial future seriously because it comes really fast. Mm-hmm. And accept that maybe you're not going to retire at 55, but if you want to, you got to get hustling now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you again to Maria for taking the time to share all of her expertise with us. Actually, she's even more expertise than we touched on. She has a lot to offer. I really enjoyed talking to her so much. So if you have further questions for Maria or you need her help figuring out insurance stuff or maybe you just want to tell her how much you enjoyed listening to her, you can find her on Instagram at Maria underscore the life insurance coach. And in her profile, you'll find the link to her website. And I'm going to include all of that in the show notes anyway. Also, please check out her story highlights because she has a lot of really great information about financial self-care. Can we make hashtag financial self-care a thing? Because it should be. Yes, we need a better social safety net. We need healthcare for all and a rework of the education system and affordable housing and on and on. And a lot of this, unfortunately, feels a long way off to me. And that make, that makes me sad to say out loud, but that's kind of where we are right now. So we need to, no matter how scary or impossible it sounds, we need to learn more about how we can protect ourselves financially. Because guess what? No one else is going to do it for us. I'm just going to go ahead and say now that next Sunday's episode will be part one of my conversation with the one, the only, Aja Barber. Yes. Yes, that's right. I decided I wanted to surprise you with this, so I haven't mentioned it at all on social media. Uh, It's been really hard, (laughs) but I I just love surprising people. Anyway, it's worth it, right? (laughs) Aja and I talked about a ton of stuff. I am so excited for you to hear our conversation. But one thing she discussed was being broke, living in her parents' basement, making like $12,000 that year, and realizing that she had given 10% of her income that year to H&M. That's only $1,200. But do the billionaire CEOs and founders and executives in the fast fashion industry need a dime from us? No. And that $1,200 could have made a difference in Aja's life, in our lives. You know, that's a lot of money, right? Even if we only put half of it into a savings account, that adds up. That covers an emergency down the road or gets us closer to starting our own business or going on a vacation or whatever it is that we've been dreaming about. And me saying this or talking about this, it's not meant to make you feel foolish or embarrassed about spending money on things that make you happy rather than sticking it in the bank. I mean, listen, that's been my life so far. But 
As Aja and I talked about all the money we've given to H&M or Zara or any of those retailers over the years, I started to realize that while, yes, I thought these purchases would make me happy, would make me forget about how sick my job made me or that toxic relationship I was in, those things I bought rarely made me happy. Rarely. A lot of times they actually made me feel kind of worse. Asha and I are going to talk about all of this on the next episode, so I don't want to totally get into it right now, but we did talk about how the average American, and you all know this data point, I bring it up a lot, the average American is buying about 68 to 70 brand new articles of clothing each year. And for those of you who are about to swoop in and ask me, no, those are not individual socks. (laughs) I get that question a lot. (laughs) So... Let's say that the average price that Americans are paying for these garments was $20, which might be kind of on the low end, depending on where these Americans are shopping, but I feel like it could average out to $20. Even at $20, that means the average American is is giving about $1,400 per year to billionaires. Billionaires who do not need that money. That $1,400 is way more impactful and meaningful in the lives of the people giving that money than the people receiving it. Yeah, literally, you're giving your money to billionaires. This includes Zara founder Amancio Ortega and his daughter Sandra Ortega, who, by the way, she's the wealthiest woman in Spain. They're both billionaires. Stefan Pearson, he's the former chairman of H&M. He's worth almost $17 billion. How about Tadashi Yanai, the richest person in Japan and the founder slash owner of Uniqlo? He's worth about $32 billion. Meanwhile, his company can't even ensure that they're not using Uyghur cotton. How about Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, a company that has been legendary, legendary in the workers' rights scene, if you will, for underpaying and exploiting workers of color all over the world? Well, he's worth a cool $40 billion. Your $1,400 a year doesn't mean shit to him unless 100 million or 200 million or 300 million people are all giving him $1,400. Meanwhile, that $1,400 for you? is pretty impactful. These are individuals who have made their fortune on the backs of workers around the world by paying them as little as possible and making them work as hard as possible under terrible conditions. These are individuals who have operated with impunity when it comes to the planet and its people. They, these people and their work and their companies have had a major impact when it comes to climate change. They've already robbed so many people of financial security, and now we're transferring our hard-earned money to them? They don't deserve it. Are they really making our lives better when we give them our money? Probably not. That's not to say that you shouldn't buy things ever or buy things that you need or feel guilty or ashamed when you buy things that you need. I think it's just about revisiting how much we buy and where we buy it from, and changing it where we can. I feel very strongly, and I talk about this a lot here on the show, that a better future relies on a few big things that we can take part in. One is buying and making less brand new stuff in the first place. That means 
shopping secondhand first, right? And just buying less new stuff. It means dismantling big business. And believe it or not, you have a lot of power there. And Aja and I are going to talk about that in the next episode. But like I say a lot around here, there are only two things that big business, especially in fashion, but in all industries, really cares about. That is the law and the fear of or actual loss of sales. If we stop giving these companies our money, I promise you, they will either have to change or go extinct. We have so much more power as customers than we think. Yeah, if one person stops shopping at Zara, it doesn't really change anything. But if like 100,000 people do or a million or 300 million, trust me, there are repercussions for those companies. The last thing, the way that we can all help out is by supporting small businesses. And you know, this is like something I'm super passionate about because it is not easy to be a small business. The world makes it really hard. Social media makes it hard. It's expensive. You get drowned out by big businesses with a lot more money. And so that's why I want to talk to you about something I'm working on here for the show for an upcoming series. The holiday season and all of its related so-called shopping holidays like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they're coming. They're coming so soon. And of course, as you know, I'm not a fan of all the mindless consumerism and deals, 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 and big business of it all. This is a great time for us to shift our spending into small businesses and support them in all kinds of ways. If you don't have money, you can still support a small business by recommending them to friends or sharing their content or Instagram, even liking and saving and following. All of those things help small businesses and don't cost a dime. If you've ever bought something from one of these small businesses, leave a Yelp review, leave a Google review. Like I said, recommend it to people you know. In late November and early December, I'm going to be releasing a group of episodes breaking down the frenzy of deals, deals, deals that are on their way and the impact of all of that on the planet. I'm going to be talking about that a lot. I'm going to be talking about the amazing magic of secondhand gifting and here's where small business comes in, the importance of shopping small. That's where all of you come in. I know we have a lot of small businesses in this community, and I want to hear from all of you. I would like to include what I'm calling audio essays about your experience as a small business owner, what motivated you to start a small business, what it's like, why it's important to you, what you do, and why you do it. And of course, I also want you to include information about your business and where listeners can find you. Basically, it's free advertising for you, but it's also a great way to show others the impact that small business has on the community and the planet. So you're like, what's an audio essay? It sounds like a term you invented, Amanda, and it might be, or I might have heard it somewhere. It's really hard to say, but it's a recording that you make either using your phone or your computer. You email it to me at amanda at closehorse.world and I edit it, mix it, and add it to an episode. I would say your audio essay could go anywhere from two to five minutes. It can be longer than that too, but try to keep it under 10 minutes. I also am just going to recommend to you that you write down what you're going to say before you record it. It's not an ad. It's your story and feelings about owning a small business, why you're passionate about it, maybe one of your favorite experiences as a business owner, the challenges you face, whatever. We want to put a human face 
on small business and show everyone in our community and anyone who comes in and listens to Close Horse why small business is so important and why embracing, supporting, and giving our money to small business is going to change the future. It's okay if you make a mistake while you're recording. Just say that part again and keep going. Don't don't stop because I will edit it. Don't worry about it. If you keep stopping every time you make a mistake, you will literally never get it done and you'll lose your mind. So don't worry. I'm going to edit it for you. The deadline for this project is November 15th. So you have some time to figure it out, but don't snooze on it. I will be prioritizing business owners from our community, but feel free to share this with all your favorite small businesses too. As a lot of you know by now, if you follow me on Instagram, which by the way, if you don't, that's at Close Horse Podcast. I have parted ways with the team that was working on closehorse.world, which was the blog, not the podcast. I know it's been confusing for a lot of you. Turns out when you start a blog that has a separate team, you should not give it the same name as your podcast because everyone will get confused. Important life lesson, Amanda. I have learned it. The podcast team is just me with support from Dustin and Brenda, and Brenda primarily provides emotional support, but the blog itself had a whole other team of people working on it. And I was working on it as well. It was a hard decision for me to leave the blog behind, but it was moving in a different direction from the podcast, and I really needed to shift my focus here. Since Clothes Horse is pretty much synonymous with Amanda Lee McCarty at this point, the blog team will be renaming it at the end of the year. I can't wait to see all the new content they're going to create as a team. I know they're all so talented. It's going to be amazing, and it's going to continue to be a great source of information and inspiration for everyone in our community. I started the blog because I wanted a platform for our community, and so now I'm thinking of ways the community can use the podcast as a platform. And so this test round of audio essays is a first attempt at doing this. If you have an idea for an audio essay that you would like to do for the show, Send it my way and we can talk about it. I'm very open to your suggestions there. The most powerful thing that has happened for me since beginning my work on Close Horse is meeting all of you, of seeing this community just grow around it. It means so much to me and honestly, it has changed my life. It's so powerful. All of you have kept me going when I did not think I could keep going. And that's that's important. This community is important, so I'm constantly thinking of ways to empower all of us, to hear everyone's stories, to build real, long-lasting relationships and friendships. I really believe that we can change the world by working together, and I'm so glad that you're here to help. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse, researched, written, edited, and hosted by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you're enjoying yourself, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. If you'd like to support my work, please check out patreon.com slash podcast. And don't forget that Meredith and I are doing a super spooky Instagram live on Halloween day. Wear your costume and hear spooky stories of the trends haunting our closets and brands that have become ghosts. Thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.